When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Monday, November 22nd, 2021. I'm Maggie Lake, and I'm joined by Gary Broad, founder of Deep Knowledge Investing. Welcome back, Gary. And from Costa Rica, no less. We're here in Tamarindo, man. Thank you so much for having me on. You know, at Deep Knowledge Investing, we're all huge Real Vision fans. Love your segments. Awesome. And we're so happy to have you and a little bit jealous, but happy to have you. You know, we've had we had a really interesting day in the markets. Uh, We had crude prices initially fall on news that several countries may work together to release some oil from strategic reserves. But later they recovered. We'll get to the price action in a moment. But Weston Nakamura has more on the developments from Tokyo. Thanks, Maggie. So on crude oil, just two headlines. Uh, One. Japan looks like they're going to be joining Biden's request to tap into uh, their strategic uh, petroleum reserves. And then the second is that U.S. intelligence is seeing a buildup of Russian troops on the Ukrainian border for a potential and imminent invasion. Um, And these stories are indeed interlinked. So regarding the releasing of oil reserves, under Japan law, they can only tap into SPR um, for either severe supply shortages or for uh, natural disasters. But they can't just do it to drop prices, which is exactly what Biden is trying to do. Also, the amount of reserves is a drop in the bucket compared to, you know, OPEC's influence. So the question is, why do it at all? You know, not just Japan, but anyone else. Crude oil isn't just an economic product or an inflation matter. It's a form of geopolitical currency. So Biden's approvals at home are at an all-time low at 40% which is a mirror inverse of the 60% of voters concerned with inflation. And then other polls now show Trump beating Biden in a head-to-head in 2024. So countries that want to keep a Biden administration in place or countries preferring not to repeat a Trump presidency will try to help dent American gas prices lower however they can. And as far as Russia is concerned, Russia is leveraging their sudden and newfound power, not just as an OPEC Plus member, but as the much-needed nat gas supply savior to Europe. Uh, The timing is not coincidental. And if they decide to invade Ukraine, the U.S. and the EU have to decide whether or not to get involved in a Ukrainian war or take Russian energy supply. So watch out for potential uh, surge in crude volatility from any number of catalysts and then counter-catalysts this week. Don't purely look at economic supply and demand. You know, you need to bring the geopolitical factor uh, in the picture as well. And back to you, Maggie. So, Gary, it was sort of interesting. I think people would have, you know, expected oil to fall. What, what do you think is is providing support here? And, and what's your outlook for oil prices in general? Well, uh, longer term, we think there's a supply and demand imbalance, and we've just printed huge amounts of dollars. So long term, we think oil is going to get more expensive. People are talking about huge shortfalls this winter. The thing that we're very careful about in terms of predicting timing is some of it depend on the weather. If we have a cold weather, we'll need more heating oil. If we have a warm winter, um, then we won't need as much oil. 
But longer term, we've just printed huge amounts of dollars. And you also have large parts of the, the third world or underdeveloped countries that are working their way up and developing and using more energy. And for them, a lot of times that's going to be oil. Um, so there could be a huge supply-demand imbalance. Regarding today's price action, as you know, there was talk about um, a number of countries releasing barrels from their strategic reserve. That, that's fine temporarily, but if we have a supply-demand imbalance and they can't pump enough and we can't get wells permitted, which is currently the yeah. case in the United States, then, you know, it's— It's, it's a Band-Aid, right? Right. It's yeah, exactly. For a, for a larger problem. I mean, is how how it, it's also worth if taking a look at oil prices, remembering how far they've come. Right. So, OK, they dipped, they recovered. This is really small movements in what is a, 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 a much bigger picture, huge move in energy prices. Exactly. If we look a year ago, uh, oil prices were roughly half of what they are right now. And then if we look a few months before that, oil prices went negative. We had negative energy prices uh, because nobody was using any energy during the, the lockdowns. Well, as ever the world starts to reopen, oil demand's going up and um, I don't see it going back the other way. They're not going to be able to lock everybody down again for another year. So, but you know, uh, when we traditionally look, and I, and it, it is a bit different, but when we traditionally look at supply and demand and and OPEC and things like that, they the the producers know that if the price is too high, stays too high, that it hurts demand. Do you not think that dynamic is in place? That high prices in and of themselves will eventually cause a change and and, and either hurt demand or growth. Maggie, that's a great point. And it's something we actually wrote about in our recent piece on inflation, that to a certain extent, energy prices are self-correcting, right? When they get really low, people don't want to produce a lot, and it's, it's very cheap to fill up the car and go places. When energy gets very expensive, um, the places that do have permitted wells obviously have an incentive to pump more, um, and people will turn their thermostat down and wear an extra sweater. So there's definitely a certain amount of that, but there's also a baseline demand that people have to get to work or to heat their homes. Yeah, live. I mean, there's there's not much you can do, especially on that heating front. Does that keep us range bound? Does that put a natural floor, but also a, a natural cap on, on where we can go from here? Half of that is sort of true. So in terms of a natural floor, yeah, that's always been the case. But again, remember, we have weird situations where you know, a year and a half ago, prices went negative. Now, that didn't last for very long, but short-term things can go really um, out of kilter. We did hear some fascinating analysis by someone, I wish I could give you his name, he's one of the best analysts and portfolio managers I know, and I know he doesn't want his name used here, but he was talking about the recent negotiations with OPEC where the current administration went to them and said, hey, can you please produce more? And they said, yeah, we'll, we'll give you a little bit more but not as much as you're asking for. And the speculation was, on one hand, maybe they don't like the current administration and don't really want to be that helpful. But on the other hand, what if they really are capped? What if they can't give ah. you everything? <laughs> it's not there. It's not political. It's just, yeah. Ex right, exactly. So Maggie, like for instance, what if you said to me, Gary, I need you to get me an extra 10 barrels a day. I'm obviously using ridiculous numbers. Yeah, yeah. And I can only produce five. That you right? don't want to say that. Yeah. 
I don't want to say that. Wow. And I and I don't want to tell you 10 and disappoint. So I might say, well, you know, Maggie, I'll do something for you. I'll give you five. Maybe that's all I can do. Maybe that's all I have. Right. Yeah. And and so there is speculation that um, that maybe the reason OPEC was being difficult wasn't so much that they want to make things hard in the current administration. What if that's all they have? Wow. And we don't know, but they're, yeah. you know, these that's are the- a re- That's a really interesting theory, a really interesting theory. We'll, we'll have to we'll have to chase that down with some of our, <laughs> our oil, um, but but we'll, let's file that away, because that, that would be, uh, that would be very significant if that were the case. There's always an assumption that this is, um, you know, controlled. Uh, and it, so if we're getting to a point where it's not. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit because I want to make sure we kind of go around uh, the realm here. And the other, of course, big story today, well, it's maybe anticlimactic, is that Jay Powell gets his job um, and, and you know, gets to keep his job as chairman of the Federal Reserve. And we saw equities rally, um, even though there's a lot of criticism about whether the Fed's actually <laughs> doing a good job or not. I guess the devil you know, right? Um, so, you know, consistency and, and is that your, first of all, do you think he, he deserved to keep his job? I I think he was the best out of <laughs> the best the, worst uh, choice. Yeah, exactly. I I mean I I would I would maybe point to two things. One, you had a guest on recently who used an expression I thought was fantastic. That Powell's the guy who thinks he can land a seven forty seven on an aircraft carrier. That was from one of your segments. <laughs> yes, and I thought I thought that was a really clever line. Um, but here's the thing: he can't. He can't yeah. do that, regardless of whether he thinks he can or not. But this, to me was like having the school board get together and ask the second graders, do you want the lunch lady who's going to give you a lot of candy or the lunch lady who's going to give you all of the candy? I mean, so we, we got to vote. For, <laughs> right. We, we, we got to vote today for um, lots of candy for the second graders. And, and that somehow is seen as a sane choice. But given the options available, um, it really was the best choice that this administration could make. Um, this was the hand that they had to play. It was a bad hand. Yeah. But if if you were sitting in the Oval Office today, wouldn't this have been your call? How, what would you have done differently? I also think I, I, I you know, with all of the uh, sort of bl- whether they're blunders or whether they're, you know, unexpected or w- all the problems that they're grappling with, uh, to have one that they create themselves and run the risk of it not being received well and and hit you know markets um, seem like a risk that was not worth taking. So I, I don't I, I I'm surprised we had as much chatter about it. We, we we've seen this almost every administration is very reluctant to change Fed chairman because they just don't know what the market reaction is going to be. Um, but we did see equities rally uh, on the idea. I think that it was going to be sort of steady policy and that the Fed was going to continue to take its time. is Are they going to be able to, to do, continue to do that, though, based on what we're seeing with inflation? Here's the amazing thing. I keep having these, these really interesting conversations with some of our clients who are portfolio managers, hedge fund managers. And it's very clear that inflation is running much hotter than anybody, than any official statistics say it is. It's, it's much higher than people will admit to it being um, they need to raise rates and they can't raise rates. Right? What, if, if you were the Fed chairman, what do you do right now? You need to raise rates. Um, the CPI is 
hugely understated. And even now, it's really high, right? I and mean, we're looking at numbers, what, 6 7%? And that's, that's discounting housing, energy, food. And yeah, I know those things are, are in the numbers, but I guarantee you they're not being accounted for properly. Owner's equivalent rent portion alone, that could be a double-digit adjustment to mm -hmm. inflation. Um, but if you're the Fed chairman, and it is now a political position, what do, what do you do? You go to the president and say, hey, listen, just so you know, I'm going to crash the market on your watch um, because, hey, it's the right thing to do. And we've needed to do this for the last 10 years. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. How, how do you do that? Yeah. They need to, but they can't. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N ads.com. Do you expect that they will at least try to speed up the tapering so that they can allow that, that they, they give themselves, you know, for right now it's self-created, but the, the, the taper is separated and they, there's a sense they want to be done with that before they would make a move on interest rates. Some of the market forecasts have been pulling up the timing of an interest rate hike. So one would think if that is true, they've got to, they've got to accelerate the pace of, uh, of tapering. We haven't heard anything on that yet, but do you think, A, they can and do it in an orderly way? Or is that also something that seems politically untenable for them right now? No, I, I think that's a great point. They can definitely increase the pace of the taper. The better question is right now, why in the world is the Federal Reserve continuing to effectively print dollars? Why are we doing this at all? Right? They should stop now. Um, so they absolutely can do that. But I don't know. In terms of the ability to predict that, I I sort of go to what the Fed is talking about, and they keep talking about it. They've, they've just stopped talking about inflation being transitory. And our response yeah. to this, how, how can you know? You can't know that. They're saying, we'll have inflation, and then in six months, everything will be fine. I mean, you don't get to write that book ahead of time. Yeah. Right. So it's very hard to know what are the events that would cause the Fed to um, change the taper. Do you well, the one thing that we we've seen it in a more anecdotal way? I don't know if we've seen it really coming through in the numbers yet. Is the um, you know is is the issue of wage inflation right? Because that's what they're really worried about. You know, the food, the energy, a lot of that you could arguably trace to the supply chain issue. Now, I, I just did a great interview um, with Vincent Deloard and just in, just in the last hour on all the reasons he thinks that that's not necessarily true and that inflation is here to stay. Um, very compelling reasons. But if you think about it from the wage inflation side, we, we've seen, we know that there, there are pockets of labor shortages. We saw a union agreement at Deere, but we've also seen employers get very clever in terms of, you know, more vacation time or one-off bonuses, kind of trying to not bake it into the hourly wage, which never turns, you know, it, once it's in, it doesn't revert back. Uh, do they have an argument to stand on based on the fact that we haven't seen that? Or do you think that is just a matter of time before we see it? And it is indeed creeping in. I think a couple of things. One, it's encouraging to see the government um, reducing their compete, their efforts to compete with corporations for labor. Yes, pulling back the the, the benefits and the extraordinary measures put in. Right. 
Right, exactly. And look, I, I get it. If the government shuts down the economy and people can't work, um, you need to do something for those people. But that, that was almost two years ago. Um, and so we have a situation where we've got 10 million unfilled jobs. We have unemployed people who should be trying to fill those jobs or sort things out. And, you know, part of it is the government needs to get out of the way and mm. stop competing with private industry to fill those spots. Um, yeah. The other thing is it's it's really hard to predict what will get people back to work. Um, you know, maybe just two anecdotes. We're seeing on consumer products companies, they've increased pricing. And then as they announced earnings, one of the things they said was, um, we haven't increased pricing fast enough. Our costs are going up faster than the pricing. So basically, they got pricing increases and margins are coming down. Mm. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, that's that's going to be a problem for these companies. The other thing is we're going to have to see what happens with the vaccine mandates. And this is something we wrote about very carefully in the inflation piece that we were talking about. Um, we're not going to make any comments on on the vaccines, their effectiveness, it's politically divisive. Um, no one's interested in our medical opinion, positive yeah. or negative. Um, we also don't want to make any comments on the wisdom of vaccine mandates. Again, it's it's divisive, and there are um, there are good intentioned people on both sides. But the key issue is you have somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 million Americans who have said we don't want to do this, and you know at least in places like New York City or um, large parts of California, you can't go into an office. And so you know that a lot of those people are going to be gig economy workers. Yeah. And at this point, they're not going to take the shot in order to get the job. If they were going to make that choice, they would have made it already. Yeah. Yeah. So you have that dynamic playing out. And then you have, you know, countries in Europe, Austria, Germany's considering it, where the entire country's considering a mandate. Um, I don't, don't know if you're looking at this, but just while we're talking about vaccines, Fred is asking uh, thoughts on airlines and travel in general. Is, is this something um, that you're looking at now that we are kind of grappling with all of these different policies in different places? Uh, we know we know that the Thanksgiving holiday travel is up dramatically here in the U.S., but is that a, is that a temporary thing? Is, is this something you think is, is kind of related to how quickly we are rebounding on the economy? You know, it's a great question, and I think it's going to be done on a country by country basis. Yeah. Hard to make a, so a general statement about it. Exactly. So, yeah. for example, you have places like Australia where, you know, two people test positive and they shut down entire sections of the country. Mm -hmm. You know, China is is still trying to pursue a zero COVID policy. I, I don't think that's going to work. I think we have almost two years of data that says that's not going to work, but it hasn't stopped them. It's still happening. Um, you know, I'm here in Tamarindo, Costa Rica. The place is largely open. But I will tell you, as somebody who's traveled a lot, um, in terms of dealing with the logistics and the paperwork and the tests required, and, and mm -hmm. it's not just that there's a whole new set of requirements, it's that those requirements from the time I bought my plane ticket to when I got on the plane three weeks later, all of those requirements shifted. Yeah. And so I have never in my life had so much of an administrative hassle trying to get from place to place. I, I didn't need a visa, but there are all kinds of tests and insurance yeah. and and the timing on these things change. And so it's a little stressful. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have a one size fits all answer. I think, you know, wherever you want to go, you, you have to look at the rules and then 
you know, just hope they don't change the wall country. Yeah. Which is going to be, if you combine that uncertainty with some of the labor shortages and issues where we, we've seen, at least in, in U.S. travel, um, it seems like it's going to be a little bit rocky still uh, for airlines. I'm talking about business conditions, not necessarily, um, you know, investment advice on them. But I want to get your opinion on on some sort of trading strategies around these big themes. But very interestingly, first, uh, as we, and, and, and that includes about how to sort of best hedge in this environment. But before we get to that, Peter Brandt, um, sat down with Jack Schwager, author of the Market Wizard books, and asked about his thoughts on managing risk. Let's have a listen to what he said. You have lots of traders, particularly like in this, in every book I have, but particularly this the book that you're in, Unknown Market Wizards, and your approach as well, where, where the gains, you can have some significant gains, but the losses tend to be controlled. And so you get volatility on the upside, but not on the downside. And that's not, in my mind, that's not risky. I mean, you, how many people do you know? Your whole, you know, we've both been around for a while. Has anybody ever complained to you about? I have this investment, and damn, the guy made fifteen percent last month. He wasn't supposed to be so volatile. Nobody complains about upside volatility. It's not what people think is risk. So, what is risk? Yeah, you don't have to be a math. You don't even have to know mathematics. Anybody can tell you. Risk is losing money, and therefore, a proper metric should be based on losses, not on volatility. It's always good to great get to good to get that advice, rather. Um, and that full interview is available on Essential Plus and Pro Tiers. Uh, so, Gary, when you're looking at this inflation threat, which you obviously think is you know, bigger than people think, stickier, going to be around, and that the Fed's falling behind the curve, if not behind the curve already. What is the best way to invest around this? What should investors be doing in an inflationary environment? Great. I'm so glad you asked that question, because for us, we've seen 700 articles on inflation and the CPI is understated, but let's talk about what you should really do. So the first thing that we were, we were talking about oil earlier, and we like um, large major oil producers that have permitted wells. So that's mm -hmm. one great option. Uh, another one, we uh, publicly bought Bitcoin a year ago at 15,000. Um, we still like it here. The key part of that thesis, look, there are Bitcoin evangelists and there are lots of great reasons to own Bitcoin. I would just give you two. One, to the extent that you're concerned about the Federal Reserve or central banks all over the world, Bitcoin is a great answer to that. The other is we're looking at increased institutional acceptance. So mm -hmm. the supply demand right now, supply of Bitcoin mining is 900 coins a day, and it's going to be that for the next few years. Um, but you have pension funds and um, hedge funds and other even trillion dollar retirement funds that what if they take a 50 uh, basis point position? Right. Mm -hmm. So the the supply demand there is very much in Bitcoin's favor. Um, and then there are also just the traditional answers that everybody's used forever, gold and silver. And a lot of people will point out that, hey, you know, gold hasn't really been a great hedge and they look short term. OK, well, over thousands of years, it has been since I forget, was it 72 or 74? The president Nixon took us off the gold standard and closed that window. Um, since then, gold went from what thirty-five dollars an ounce to eighteen hundred plus. Um, I, I'd say that's a pretty good hedge 
against currency. The easiest to do that are the ETFs, GLD and SLV. I was going to ask you um, that. I was, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, what about the miners themselves? You prefer doing it through the ETF with exposure to the metal as opposed to big miners in that space? So the miners, that's where you get the better leverage. Um, the problem that we have with the miners, if, if you really know that sector inside and out, the miners are the way to go. The issue is that what those companies are worth is they tell you we have a certain amount of stuff underground and you take their word for it. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how much of, of that metal is underground. And, you know, you remember, what was it? 20 years ago, was it Barrick Gold where they salted the core samples? The CFO got pushed out of a helicopter. It was, uh, you know, this fascinating story. Um, we we just don't know. Um, that would be a great way to invest if what you're looking for is a great hedge against um, dollar printing and inflation, GLD and SLV. Are good enough, and it also solves the problem of trying to store it in your home where you're subject to theft or something like that. Um, for anyone who's listening, there is no gold in my home. Don't bother coming. <laughs> don't, be, don't bother. <laughs> you'll, you'll be severely disappointed. And so, are, and so are you? Are, are you long gold? Uh, and and do you prefer silver over gold? We've had some people that that like that. We've some people that that um, have been looking at other metals as opposed to gold because there is some frustration around gold. Someone yeah, says, that, if it's not going to work now, when is it going to work? You know? Right. Yeah. That's Look, that's a, a great point. Um, the reason we own both gold and silver, gold is just historically a, a great place to be in times of inflation. If you think the value of your currency is going to be evaporating, gold is just a good place to be. The advantage of silver are some industrial uses. And yeah, I know with gold, you know, it's but it's tiny for the industrial uses. Um, for silver, you have more options for there to be an actual need for it. Um, you could make the argument that silver is cheaper, but I, I don't I don't know. This is really a play on the Federal Reserve. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. What about what about some of the EV metals? We've seen big, you know, moves in copper, nickel. Some of those. Um, are you are you, uh, you know, is the price? Do you think the prices are too high there? Are you or you look at silver and gold because they're just more of a traditional uh, hedge against inflation as opposed to related to activity in any industry? Yeah, Maggie. That's that's. It. And the other metals that you're talking about, there are great uses for them. But then what we need to do is start to make an industrial case, mm. right? What What is the demand? And there's also, just like we talked about oil and energy being self-correcting, both on the upside and side, realize that if you're buying some of these industrial metals into what could be a horrible economy, if you have inflation, yeah. hyperinflation, lots of unemployment, the demand for those building and making commodities can come down, right? That then, when you have the industrial uses, it becomes again right. that self-correcting. And you're and you're in a global economy, so you know we we talk a lot about the fact that China is pivoting away, perhaps from you know a reliance on 
um, on production and factory manufacturing, moving more towards services. So you've got to look at globally that economic if you're going to have exposure from the industrial side. Um, what we were talking about playing gold and silver through the ETF. We didn't ask about Bitcoin. What, what is your take in terms of the new ETFs coming up around that? I know there were a lot of concerns about the costs that might be associated with them. Yeah, I, we we love that. I, I don't own any of them now. Um, there are, you know, good funds that do that. You have, um, there's there was one that was just approved. Uh, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust is likely going to be approved at some point. I'll tell you the thing I like about it. Um, as I talk to RIAs and institutional investors, um, a lot of times they say, I, I want to own it, but I can't. Mm -hmm. Right. How, how do I how do I do this? How do I get around it? And even, you know, simple things. I, I was talking to my dad about this the other day and he said, well, how do I do that? Because he's not going to go on to Coinbase or, yeah, you know, the, the one of the other. Access, right. It's difficult. Right. Some. Exactly. And so for a lot of people, something that makes things easy that they can put in, in their Schwab account or their E-Trade account, something that if you're an RIA, you're allowed to hold. There are regulatory requirements. I think anything, basically, if you view anything new in the investment world as being this giant brick wall, every time an institution comes along and makes things easier and invests in it or makes it possible for someone to invest in it, what they do is they take a brick off the top of the wall and put it on the ground. And the hurdle is just a little bit lower for the next institution. Again, our thesis on Bitcoin is based on supply and demand. Those ETFs are lowering the barriers to the next set of people coming in. What kind of upside do you think there is for Bitcoin from here, given that, given the, as you say, a year ago? I mean, you know, when we're talking near term, it's dipped down off those all-time highs. But based on where we've come and the fact we saw that sort of, you know, big correction. Uh, during the year and then right back up there. What What is your expectation from upside from here? So and that's a great question. It's really hard to have a price target on something like Bitcoin or something like gold where there isn't an alternative use. Yeah. Um, gold, we're looking at its historical use as a store of value. Bitcoin, we're looking at supply and demand and just saying, is this going to continue or is it going to be dialed back? And where we did have that big pullback earlier in the year, that was when China pulled all their demand. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, guess what they did with those servers? They shipped them someplace else, plugged them in, and now they're <laughs> mining again, right? So it was a temporary situation. But what we're really looking at is, is supply and demand. In terms of putting together a price target for it, when there's no industrial use, there's no fundamental case to be made. It's, it's mm -hmm. really hard for us to give you a number on that. We just like the direction that it's yeah, as part of your portfolio. Want want to squeeze in a, a couple quick questions. We're almost out of time. Um, James asking, are there major disadvantages to investing via the gold silver uh, ETFs versus other ETF slash trust alternatives? Yeah, the answer is there are going to be trade offs with everything. Um, I, I would give you as much as we like the GLD and SLV options. I'll give you two disadvantages. One, there are fees. So you're looking at 40, 50 basis points, respectively, um, on that. So your NAV will slip a little bit year to year. The other thing is, um, and we've seen this, this to me is fascinating, there is uh, speculation that the amount of virtual gold in the world far exceeds the amount of physical gold. 
So the number of people who think they own gold that's backed by the physical metal is much greater. And so there's always um, the analogy is is you buy a pig from a farmer and the farmer's going to have the pig all summer and fatten the pig up. And you go and the farmer, you know, points and says, that's your pig there. Well, great. He's got 20 pigs. But did he sell 20 pigs? Did he sell 30 pigs? Did he sell yeah. 40 pigs? When you get there at the end of the summer, is your pig there? Yeah. And so, you know, that's that's one of the Good risks of, yeah. of not holding the physical metal. The positive side is, again, you can't have it robbed from your home. Yeah, a bunker. You don't need to construct a bunker in your house with your lost. Uh, um, I, wanna, <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you, uh, so, you know, based on what you were saying, and these are clearly fit into your portfolio and fit into your overall strategy for hedging. What do, what does your do you have a, an opinion on the portfolio makeup? Because we've heard a lot of conversations that this idea that you should be sixty percent equities, forty percent bonds that's kind of been roughly in place for a long time now. Uh, people are really starting to rethink that. Do you have an ideal mix of the idea of the assets that you would want in a portfolio right now, and and do property and housing and tangible assets? fit into that? And, you know, has Bitcoin taken the place of bonds? Do bonds have a role or based on what we're seeing with the Federal Reserve, is that not an asset class that you like? Talk to us about roughly the kind of ideal construction you'd like a, a portfolio to look like right now. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think there are people who are the, the RIAs, the wealth managers, they, they have their 60-40 model, their 70-30 model. Um, what I can tell you is right now, um, you know, the 10-year today moved from like 1.5% to 1.6, something like that. Um, I, I'd rather be short that than long it right now. So, um, I, I wouldn't be 40%. I'd you know, I'd look at a short position in it. That said, you know, my background is in equities. Deep knowledge investing really focuses on equities. That is our expertise. That's where we've generated huge amounts of alpha and profits for people. Um, and so that's the area where I feel like we have an edge. And even though I wouldn't own bonds right now, my guess is there are probably some pretty smart bond traders out there who are finding ways to make money because that's their area of expertise and yeah. you know, had tip to those guys. It's just not. Well, it's, it's been rough. If, if, we, if we are to believe the headlines, it's been rough for even those with a lot of experience based on some of the moves we've seen. Um, and is there an area in an inflationary environment? Is there an area of equities we should be concentrating on? Is it in the commodity space? Uh, I think, you know, there's something to that. We like owning hard assets. And, you know, when you were talking about a portfolio, like one of the things I just did um, literally a couple of weeks before coming down here to Costa Rica was I refinanced the mortgage on my home, you know, to everybody do that now. That would be like, it's not just how do you make money in the equity markets, right? How do you take care of your finances? Um, another thing, Maggie, that, that we um, bring up is I was on Real Vision talking to um, Jack a while back on um, Anova, a specialty finance company. And that stock didn't do so great over the summer, but it's now up 22% from when I pitched it on Real Vision. I think it was back in April, something like that. So it's up like 22% in seven months. And if you think the value of the currency is going down and you're going to have wage inflation, uh, people who owe money are probably going to be able to pay it back. They'll be paying it back in nominal dollars, but it should be pretty good for earnings. Also, these companies tend to do pretty well in a rising rate environment. So that's a pick that we made earlier this year. And you still like it? 
it's up nicely. We still like it. We still own it. Okay, great. Gary, great stuff. Thank you so much for coming on and enjoy yourself down in Costa Rica. Thanks, Maggie. Great being here with you. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Gary Broad of Deep Knowledge Investing. That is all we have time for today. Uh, Ash will be back tomorrow for the daily briefing with Tony Greer, Tony Tuesday. So be sure to tune in in the meantime. Take care and good luck out there. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.